Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, so reading through, as Gary was reading the New Testament reading this morning, kind of as we're kind of transitioning, uh, Luke 1, you know, birth announcements are a big deal. Most of y'all, when you are um, expecting, you go, there's this time where you tell your parents, you tell your friends, it's this huge announcement, right, when the birth announcements um, and I, I can remember when we were given the birth announcement to my parents that uh, Judah was, we were expecting Jude. And so it's the classic, you put a shirt on your other child and you just kind of like, you know, parade them in. And they say, it says like, I'm going to be a big sister type type thing. We were at Christmas at my parents' house and we were going to do this grand reveal. And uh, so Sophie has this kind of shirt on. And then uh, my my other brother uh, had the same, one of their kids had the same shirt. And so it was like our grand exciting announcement was overshadowed by by their grand exciting uh, announcement. Um, and so it was fun, uh, but, you know, you always want to be like, hey, this is special. Um, if you've ever had an announcement or a, you know, something great that happened to you, then it's overshadowed by somebody else that had something great happen to you. Um, that did not happen with Jesus. Uh, when Jesus showed up, his birth announcement was more than a, a shirt that's like, hey, uh, Mary's saying, I'm going to have a baby. An angel came and said, not only are you having a baby, but this baby is going to be called Son of the Most High, Son of God. Okay, So we're going we're gonna to get to that in our passage this morning. But just like in life, the Bible occasionally gives us these fork-in-the-road moments that force us to come to terms with what we think about Jesus or who we think Jesus is. Either we believe Jesus is who he says he is and we follow him accordingly, uh, or we don't. Like you, you just have to, you make that, that choice there. Either we believe the claims of Jesus and it translates into all of life, or we do not believe and we just kind of carry on. Well, for those of you who maybe on the fence or who have doubts about who Jesus is, this passage is extremely helpful this morning. Uh, according to the Bible, we see that our deepest longings and questions, of course, they can't, it can't be answered by the latest country song. Remember a few weeks ago, my radio station was stuck on K-Love. Well, this week it's stuck on country. I couldn't get off. And so I heard that God made man and man made a bar like a hundred times this week. Um, your questions can't be answered with the latest country song by the latest binge-worthy show, not by your spouse, not by your children, your best friend, not even TikTok. The Bible says that your deepest longings and questions are only answered in Jesus. Well, how so? Well, at some point, we all have a sense that things are just not right. Things are not right in this world, and Jesus claims to be the one who came to deal with that. You know, Jesus came to take away the guilt and the dread humans have always felt towards sin and towards death and to make all things new again, new relationship, new life. But first, as we see in our passage, Jesus had to suffer. Jesus first had to be pulled into the chamber and he took our place in the court, uh, which is where we'll pick up in Luke's gospel. This is God's very word given to you because he loves you. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. 
They also blindfolded him and kept asking, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against Jesus, blaspheming him. When day came, the the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But Jesus said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And Jesus said to them, you say that I am. Well, then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless this next time as as we just pondered this passage. Uh, Think on Jesus, his trial for us. Uh, May you come and encourage our hearts through this convict challenge, but um, lift us up. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, so so far, the disciples have fled him. Peter has denied him. Uh, the guards have bound him and are in the process of beating him. As Jesus was, was being held before his, quote, quote, trial, this mob mentality took over. You know, one or two people were okay, but when you get a, a mob of people together doing things, things can get out of hand. And these bored guards started bullying Jesus and mocking him. They, they blindfolded him and took turns hitting him and saying, who hit you, Jesus? Point, point to us. Tell us who, who hit you. you know, some of you may know Nate Diaz. Uh, he's a, a big-time MMA fighter. Uh, Nate Diaz was once asked in an interview if he was ever bullied as a kid. <laughs> and he just looked with a smile and he said, no, I have a big brother. I have a big brother. His, his brother took the bullying so Nate could be safe. Well, here, as we, we see these next few weeks, this is Jesus, our brother, taking the bullying, taking it on the chin, literally, in this case, for us. And I don't know if you caught the New Testament passage that Gary read, but these guards are crying out, prophesy, prophesy, Jesus, when in fact Jesus had already prophesied this very thing. His prophetic powers were literally confirmed in what they were doing. Well, Luke notes that when day came, they took Jesus to his trial before the the council, also known as the Sanhedrin. If you'll remember, the Sanhedrin was was composed of 71 elders of the people. This is uh, Sadducees, scribes, some Pharisees, chief priests, and they 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 were the power players of the day. They held Judaism in their hand. And you know how Hogwarts has the Chamber of Secrets, right? Y'all remember that? Uh, well, the Sanhedrin had a special chamber, too, in the temple. They had a place in the temple where their official meetings took place. They called it the Chamber of Hewn Stones. And all the powerful members of all of them that met in the chamber, the most powerful was the high priest, who at this time was Joseph Caiaphas. And and just a quick aside, if you read John's account of this event, you're going to notice that John mentions two high priests. And Annas and Caiaphas. And so in John, it's both Annas and Caiaphas who question Jesus, which can be kind of confusing because we think, wait, I thought there was just one high priest. What's this two thing? Is this one of those contradictions skeptics like to point out? Um, Okay, no, just for clarity, 
So you know how the, the title that we give our former presidents, presidents of the United States. So Barack Obama isn't currently our president, nor Donald Trump uh, is not currently our president. But out of deference to the office, you know, it's customary to continue calling them that title, President Obama, President Trump, uh, even though they're no longer in office. Okay. Well, like that, Annas was the high priest from 6 to 15 A.D., but by this time, he still held considerable respect, considerable deference among the, the, the Sanhedrin. And so behind the scenes, he still flexes a fair amount of, of influence. And so that's why he was at the council, and that's why John mentions him. He's not the high priest, but he kind of carries that deferential title. Okay. Well, apparently Caiaphas, as we know, was, was something else. The average lifespan or, or you know, term for a high priest was four years, but Caiaphas managed to stay in power for 19 years. And he had the perfect name too. Caiaphas means the inquisitor, which uh, if you look in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you see that an inquisitor is one who is unduly harsh, severe, or hostile in making an inquiry, <laughs> which is fitting because that's exactly what he did with Jesus. So Jesus was put on trial but before the trial even starts, we get the sense that some, something fishy is going on here because the Sanhedrin, like other courts of the day and courts today, they operated by certain rules, certain things you could and could not do, certain procedures you had to follow. So one of my brothers is a lawyer in small town Alabama, and he, which means he rarely sees big cases like the big city firms get. Um, but somewhat recently, he he was given the, the biggest case of his uh, lawyer career so far. And so like, you know, like proud parents do, my parents, his parents wanted to go to court to watch his opening statements during this the biggest court of his career. And everything was going great, so I'm told, until they had a recess. And between the, the two of my parents... Uh, they probably have like 65 years combined teaching in the Pickens County school system, which means they not only know most of the people in the county, but they also know most of the people serving on the jury. And and during the recess, what, what did my dad do? But go, what's up, Tony? And he started talking to the jury members. He just walks up there and starts talking to them. And um, the opposing counsel who were out of out of Birmingham, big time law firm. They noticed this, and they were like, what in the small town jury tampering is this? And so fast forward, the opposing counsel talked to the judge, and to sum it up, because of my dad, arguably John Morgan's biggest case to date that he had stressed over and prepared for, I mean, they're going, was deemed a mistrial. And if, if that was, I mean, rightfully so, right? Like the, the, the parents of the lawyer cannot be talking to the jury. But, but if that was deemed a mistrial because my dad said, hey, Tony, like what in the world are we to make of Jesus's trial before the Sanhedrin? I mean, talk about a miscarriage of justice. And you, have y'all ever, ever been to a pre-meeting? You know, the meetings that, where you meet to talk about what you're about to meet to talk about? You know, those meetings and sometimes you'll find in those pre-meetings that all the decisions for the main meeting are already made in the pre-meeting. And so if you've ever been in a meeting where it seems like well, all the decisions were already made without your input, that that's probably, you know, what, what's happened. 
And your toxic leadership cultures love pre-meetings. So if, if you've ever thought, that's not fair. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. The Sanhedrin weren't permitted to make, meet nor make final judgment outside of their, the chamber of hewn stones in the temple. Nor were they able, allowed to meet at night. And yet if we fill in the timeline using all four Gospels, we find that at this point they had already had a pre-meeting at Caiaphas's house, if you remember where Caiaphas had already all but made up his mind, which means this morning's meeting, it really wasn't a trial. If anything, it was just a rubber stamp situation. You know, it was just to ratify what had already been decided about Jesus. But not only that, the laws of the day said that you couldn't sentence someone to death the same day. You had to sleep on it and render judgment another day. It also said that you couldn't have a capital offense trial during a great feast. Of course, we know this is happening during Passover. And then blood money. Remember, Judas was given money to turn Jesus in. And allegedly, if blood money was used during this time, then the trial had to be thrown out. And then finally, there was the problem with the witnesses. As you read the other Gospels, um, you know, in, in order to sentence someone to death, you had to have the unanimous dis- evidence of at least two witnesses. Well, they had the best witnesses money could buy, but even their, their testimonies couldn't line up. And so it got to the point that since they couldn't find people to testify against Jesus, they made Jesus testify against himself, which that's another like, you can't do that. You can't incriminate yourself. And so, I mean, if if this was today, this trial would have been thrown out like eight ways to Sunday, right? So how do you get a conviction to stick on someone who is sinless like Jesus? Well, it, it required them to sin. It required them to enact injustice against Jesus. I mean, how much of a threat was Jesus to make these by-the-book legalists will throw out the book just so that they could get their man? And you say what you will about these religious leaders, but they understood one thing, that when it comes to Jesus, you, you can't just like go along to get along. You, you can't, It can't be, Jesus, look, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and we'll just... We'll just kind of live together. No, either he's God or he's not. Either Jesus is a joke and we can just ignore him, or he reorients reality itself. Well, you can tell by the way they handled this trial what they thought of Jesus. I mean, they sure didn't think he was a joke. They just wanted their way instead of his. They, he threatened their way of life, and so they got rid of him. And it's ironic that the very claim that gives us hope and gives us life is the claim that got Jesus killed. So what was that claim? What was the claim that they didn't like? Uh, talking to somebody or some other people this week, I don't know if y'all know this, but did y'all know that we have a, a well, it's not a youth anymore. We have a person who grew up in our youth group uh, who's gotten themselves into amateur wrestling. Did you know that? Uh, and apparently he's, he's like amassed all sorts of titles. Uh, I've been told that he is the current Iranian champion of, of wrestling. Um, just recently he, re- I'm going to read it so I get it right. Just recently he wrestled for the diamond championship wrestling heavyweight belt. Um, he's got some titles, you know, we love titles. Titles are important, right? They help us understand like, like who's who. Well, Jesus had some of those, didn't he? Jesus had some titles. You know, today we think of Jesus as the Christ, as the hero, the Savior, the the Messiah. But it's interesting that, that though true, he is the Christ. And Peter even claimed that. Peter said that. 
But when Jesus spoke about himself, he generally avoided that title, the Messiah, the hero. Because during this time, that title had become so politicized that it no longer meant what it once meant from the Old Testament. And to, to be honest, you know, it's not unlike what's currently happening to the word uh, evangelical. Uh, you know, we, we would call ourselves evangelical. You know, at one point, evangelical meant that you took the Bible seriously and you believed that Jesus was Savior and Lord. Uh, but just a few weeks ago, and maybe y'all, some of y'all saw this, some of the biggest evangelical churches in America, as many churches had, they had Super Bowl Sunday, right? where a lot of these churches, they reenacted the game as part of the sermon, and they used the Bible as the football, okay? And say so they would get down and they would snap the Bible and they would hold the Bible and then they would kick the Bible. And uh, a few of them kicked the Bible right off stage, like way off, okay? Um, such a picture of what's happened in the American church, right? Uh, evangelicals from them teaching that in heaven, Christopher Reeves will teach us all how to fly. Christopher Reeves. To pastors coming in dressed as referees, swinging on wrecking balls, down to evangelical churches giving presidential candidates the pulpit. I mean, that word today is just, it's become politicized, right? It, it doesn't mean what it once meant. And, you know, it's no wonder the PCA, our denomination, has opted to disassociate ourselves from the National Association of Evangelicals. And so that word, yeah, it just doesn't mean what it once did. Well, well like that, though Jesus was and is the Messiah, because there's so much confusion on what that meant, Jesus kind of disassociated himself from that title, opting for other titles that were just crystal clear. Like you can't confuse these titles. So the Messiah claim was what got Jesus in trouble with Rome. We'll find that out next week. Like the Messiah, like you can't have Messiah's heroes trying to you know, lead rebellions against Rome. So that's ultimately what got him killed by Rome, but that is not what ruffled the Sanhedrin's feathers at all. So Jesus knew their unbelief, and so he said, look, if I tell you, you're not going to believe me. And, and even if I ask, you're not going to answer. But so just, just know this, from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And at that, if you see the other gospel accounts, priests are like tearing their robes in fury. So did you know that the high priest wasn't allowed to tear their robes? If you remember from the Old Testament, like the high priest had this very particular set of clothes that he wore, and they were very symbolic to the people of God about how God interacted with the people. He could, you can't tear those robes. But at that, even Caiaphas was tearing his robes. I mean, he, they, these people are ticked. Skeptics argue that Jesus never literally claimed to be God, that that claim never came from his lips in the Gospels. But Westminster, that's just not true. When Jesus claimed to be, quote, the Son of Man, all hell broke loose because the Sanhedrin knew their Old Testament, and they knew that that claim to be the Son of Man from Daniel was a direct claim to be God. So do you know what this means? When Jesus said he was the Son of Man, it spoke to every single one of us. Like that speaks to our fears and our anxieties. Like it, it speaks to the loneliness of our souls. When Jesus said he was the son of man, it speaks to our insecurities and bondages to our false identities and shame because of sin. When Jesus said he was the son of man, that the second person of the Trinity was in essence declaring, you are not alone. But the rescuer you long for has come. You know, Jesus revealing who he is 
changes everything about who we are. Okay. So, you know, we hear about this unjust trial of Jesus. We hear about injust, injustice for others, and we, we crave justice. And that's especially true when it comes to the court of law. But what happens when the justice we desire in life is also the justice we deserve? Like, what do you do then? What, what happens to justice when it comes to our deepest problem? The Bible teaches that there is no one righteous. Like not even one single person, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that God is, is perfectly holy and at the same time, he's perfectly just. And because of that, naturally, we are all, like all of us, are, are dead men and women, boys and girls walking. Like we all have a death sentence over us. And make no bones about it, one way or the other, justice will be served. Well, what do you do with that? Well, our only hope is the gospel, that the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, in Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin and on the cross, Jesus was totally innocent, but he was declared guilty, and God's just wrath was poured out on him so that if you are in him, you who are totally guilty could be declared innocent and receive grace. Talk about the big brother taking the licks for us. You know, Daniel 7 says that the Son of Man will come with the clouds of heaven. And anytime these clouds are mentioned with God, it's this Shekinah glory clouds, right? And when the Shekinah glory shows up, that means one thing. It means God's in town. They're like the, the true judge is in the house. So you see the irony here? Like these men are gathered around judging Jesus who in fact is the judge of the universe. And so Jesus is saying, like, you, you are judging me right now, but, but ultimately I will be the one to judge. And Westminster, here's what that means. Listen, if you're not in Jesus, it, it, which means if you don't believe, you're not living, you're not following, this is, we're just here. If you're not in Jesus, then one day he will judge you. And justice will be poured out on you. Okay? Justice will be on you. But if you are in Jesus, though you will still be judged, justice has already been served on your behalf, on Jesus. Which means, if you're in Jesus, the verdict is in. The only judge who truly matters has declared you free to go in the gospel. And you know, if Jesus has judged us and Jesus has called us forgiven and loved, he called you forgiven and loved, then who are we to judge those who are outside of the church? Like, who, who are we? Now, we, you know, we point others to Christ, we, we reach out, but like, who are we to feel superior to other people? If we do that, that means we don't have the first clue as to what the gospel means. I mean, the gospel eviscerates snobbery and superiority and assuming the worst. But that also means the opposite is also true. You know, if, if Jesus has judged us and he's called us, called you forgiven and beloved, then who are we to continually judge ourselves? You know, we don't go down that road because truth be told, we're, we're way worse than we think. 
The fact that Jesus is the Son of Man is a call to walk in newness of life, knowing that we are not the sum of our past mistakes, that redemption really is a thing, that, that we are not defined by our sins, we're not defined by what others call us, we're not even defined by what, what we call ourselves, but our identity is, is in Christ, one who is in Christ. So what's Mr. Christians fail? And we, we will fail. But if Jesus is Lord, and, and he's, he's claiming to be Lord, then in him is our innocence. Okay? In him is our righteousness once and for all. And so this morning is an invitation for all of us to come to Jesus and to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the fact that 2,000 years ago we had a, a bigger brother um, who took the blows, who took the accusations so that we don't have to. Our Lord, thank you for Jesus uh, on trial, taking, taking our sin. Our Lord, we ask that you would continue to impress this reality deep in our hearts. Uh, and even as we go out uh, to, you know, to our jobs and careers and families and life, that, that the fact that Jesus calls us forgiven in love may it be the overarching reality by which we live. Um, come, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.